At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is The Look Ahead with Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the sports betting network. Back here on The Look Ahead, I'm Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the sports betting network. Always on Twitter at Scott's on air, S C O T T S O N A I R. Coming up about 15 minutes or so from now, we'll talk to our good friend Greg Peterson who will uh, get into a little trade deadline reaction in Major League Baseball, take a look at what is to come on uh, Thursday's schedule on the baseball board. I have in uh, my hand here the updated win totals uh, after the trade deadline. And I want to go over some of these things. First of all, some notes, and this is prior to Wednesday's games. But prior to Wednesday's games, uh, the biggest overachievers so far in terms of their win totals, the Baltimore Orioles. They're the biggest uh, overachiever, a uh, 15-game differential. Yankees are next with a 10-game differential. Houston plus 9, the Mets plus 9, the Dodgers plus 8.5. The biggest underachievers so far in Major League Baseball with the biggest drop-off in their win total. Uh, the Washington Nationals minus 12.5 wins. The Tigers minus 11.5 wins. The Angels minus 11 the Reds minus 10 and a half and the A's minus 10 and three teams are exactly where they are before the, where they were before the season. That's exactly where they are right now. The Rockies at 69 and a half, the Pirates at 65 and a half and the Blue Jays at 91 and a half wins. Here are the highest adjusted win totals uh, after the Major League Baseball trade deadline. The Dodgers, 105 wins. And again, I'll pull up here the um, fan graphs standings, right? And we'll see what the uh, projected standings are for these teams for the rest of the season. So the Dodgers, 105 is their adjusted win total. It's the highest in Major League Baseball. And go figure, fan graphs has the Dodgers uh, projected to finish at 105 and 57. Uh, the second highest is the Yankees at, and the Dodgers, by the way, opened up 96 and a half. Yankees uh, 102 and a half after opening up the season at 92 and a half. Yankees, according to Fangraphs, projected 102 and 60 to finish the season. The Astros are adjusted at 101 and a half. They open up the season 92 and a half. 
the Astros are expected or projected to finish 162. So that would go slightly under that 101 and a half. The New York Mets are the next highest at 99 and a half, an adjustment off of 90 and a half. And Fangraphs has the Mets finishing at 162. Then the Braves, 97 and a half. That is an adjustment off of 89 and a half. And Fangraphs has them 98 and 64. Then there's a little bit of a drop off. Padres, 93 and a half, the adjusted total here after the trade deadline. And uh, they are projected to finish 93 and 69. Uh, your next teams adjusted. Well, there's no adjustment on the Blue Jays, 91 and a half. Brewers, 90. Phillies, 86 and a half. Cardinals, 86 and a half. Mariners, 85 and a half. Here's the projections on those teams. Blue Jays, 92 and 70. Brewers, 90 and 72. So the Brewers, uh, right around that 90 mark, yep. Uh, The Phillies, 87 and 75. Then you have the Mariners, 86 and 76. And the Cardinals, 85 and 77. So if you're just looking at these projected win totals and you're trying to figure out who's going to win these playoff races, well, in the um, American League Central, it's the Twins projected 84 and 78, White Sox 83 and 79, Guardians 82 and 80. So the Twins projected to win that division. And then the wild cards would be the Blue Jays, the Mariners, and the Rays at 85 and 77. In the National League, the Mets would still finish ahead of the Braves just by two games. And in the Central, the Brewers would finish ahead of the Cardinals by a convincing margin by five games. And then you look at the wild cards in the National League. The wild cards in the National League would be the Braves, the Padres, and the Phillies. Those would be your wild card teams in according to the um, Fangraphs projections right now on where these teams are going to finish uh, the regular season. So let's see if we have um, the playoff uh, odds here. And let's see. Let's, let's see what Fangraphs gives these teams. The odds to make the playoffs for the Blue Jays, 97%. So they do expect it to the raise 51.9% to make the playoffs. That is slightly above. You see, this is interesting. I find this actually pretty pretty fascinating. So we just went over Fangraph's projections for win totals. And they have the projected win total for the American League Central to have uh, the Twins actually winning that division. That's the projected win total of who's going to win the Central Division, Twins at 
84 and 78, then the White Sox at 83 and 79, then the Guardians at 82 and 80. However, if you look at the percentage chance to make the playoffs, the White Sox are at 56.1%, the Twins at 51.3%. I find that very fascinating. They have the Mariners at 79.6% to make the playoffs. Um, The White Sox, 40.6% to win the division, 15.5% to get the wild card. And for the Mariners, uh, 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 79.6% is their chance to make the playoffs. It would be as a wild card because they're not going to win the division. Uh, In the National League, the Braves and the Mets, pretty much 99% to make the playoffs. The Phillies, 63.1%. And that is the next highest team behind the Padres, or 96%. So they're going to be a wild card team. So Fangraphs has the Phillies as the third wild card team in the National League. Now, I've been saying this all along. I think I'm higher on the Phillies than most people are. And I was high on them coming into the season because I love their lineup. By the way, Nick Castellanos homered today, and um, it happened after like an overturned call. But it was a tie-breaking home run in the eighth inning after there was an inning-ending double play that was overturned. Castellanos, he hadn't hit a home run in forever. Um, I think it's... I think it was a, um, when was the last, it was, whatever it was, it's been a while since Nick Castellanos hit a home run. He finally breaks out of it, breaks out of a long, long slump, and the Phillies win, uh, Zach Wheeler was, you know, phenomenal, five-hit ball over seven innings, and um, hit the only run he gave up was a, a solo home run in the fifth inning to Orlando Arcia. So, and then David Robertson worked a scoreless ninth for the save, and the game kind of played out pretty much how I thought it was going to play out. I, I talked about how the Phillies would be a little more focused now that they had their ace on the hill as opposed to a bullpen day the game before, and I expected them to, to come out ahead. I, I played them. If you are a subscriber, for uh, you got the, the, the plays on the, on the best bets page. And I took the Phillies at a plus money price, and it paid off thanks to Nick Castellanos in the uh, eighth inning. So now the Phillies return home, and they begin a four-game series against the Nationals here on Thursday. And Noah Syndergaard will get the start for the Phillies against the Nationals. They're heavily favored, and they should be. Because the Nationals are very bad, and the Phillies are a playoff team, in my opinion. And I think Syndergaard is going to perform very well against the Nationals. Uh, If we look at Noah Syndergaard's splits throughout his career, his time with the uh, New York Mets, right? And a short time here with the the Angels, but really um, his, his time against the Mets. Facing the Nationals in his career, Noah Syndergaard has a record of 
uh, let's see, 17 games. He's five and six. He's got a four five. He's got a three one five ERA. And in ninety seven innings, he has struck out a hundred batters, and he has allowed nine home runs in ninety seven innings. Seventy eight hits, so less than a hit per inning. And uh, let's see, what's the opponent's batting average uh, for the Nationals? Two twenty three. All right, again, different lineup, but. A much weaker lineup, but still, he's had success against the Nets. We'll talk to Greg Peterson about some more baseball coming up next. I'm Scott Sadenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today. This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. Ice cold beers, cold hard cash. Join the action on the pitch with the Heineken 2022 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete in 20 free to play pools this season for your shot at a share of $100,000 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Heineken now to start your run at Victory Heineken. Beer made better. 21 and over only, terms and conditions, and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. Scott Sadenberg back here with you. It's the look ahead here on VSIN. We welcome in now our very own Greg Peterson, host of the Greg Peterson Experience, oftentimes here on the look ahead on VSIN. And Greg, uh, the Padres unveiled their new look lineup here on Wednesday, and through the first six batters, they scored five runs. Pretty good in Slam Diego, you would say. Yeah, that's pretty darn solid when you wind up having Brandon Drury in his first at-bat get a grand slam. Can't go a whole heck of a lot better than that. They look very impressive now against a Colorado Rockies team that perennially they wind up struggling when they're away from Colorado. But certainly was interesting to see the Padres pretty much say, you know what, we're going all in this season. Pans out in game number one. Want to see them against a little bit of stiffer, stiffer competition moving forward, but certainly a good first act for them on Wednesday. How do you like this team's uh, chances when they get into the postseason? I think that they're a solid team, but at the same time, I would still have them somewhere between third and fourth just in the National League because the Dodgers, I still think that they're the top team with the way that the Atlanta Braves have been playing. You don't want to be stepping in front of that freight train and Jacob DeGrom coming back for the New York Mets. That's so big because the man that we wound up seeing on Wednesday, Blake Stell, 
looked very solid. The team has been able to win four out of his last five starts. But if you take a look overall for the season, the team has still only won about 33% of his starts. I believe that they're now at three and nine or four and nine when he winds up taking the mound this season. That's going to be a little bit of an issue. They wind up bringing in Josh Hader, but we wind up seeing him in July just have a really bad month in general. So I would still have the Braves and the Mets in front of this Padres team, along with that team in LA that I think still is the favorites out there in the National League. You mentioned the Mets. Jacob DeGrom is back. Looked pretty good in his first start. And Chris Bassett against, against uh, listen, a bad team in the Nationals, but uh, I think he's gone like six innings in however many straight games. He's pitching tremendously for the Mets and providing a solid third option in that rotation behind DeGrom and Scherzer when it comes playoff time. And an under-the-radar acquisition as well, because this one did not wind up happening quite at the trade deadline, but Daniel Vogelback coming in. The Mets have lost just once ever since he wanted coming to town. He wanted up having a home run against the Nationals, and I ain't outfitting. Things have not changed. 13 months ever since Jacob deGrom has made a start, and the team still can't score runs for him. <laughs> so if you want to take the big plus price on Tuesday, you were able to get there on that, but... Yep, I do think that this is a Mets team that overall they look very solid. Max Scherzer, we wound up seeing him in game one of the series, still getting a bunch of strikeouts, still looking very tremendous in general. Juan Soto's last home run as an national wise coming against Max Scherzer, very fitting there. But I do take a look at this Mets team, and I think that they and the Atlanta Braves are pretty much a 2A, 2B to be taking on the LA Dodgers when it comes to the National League picture because with the Atlanta Braves, I do like their lineup a little bit more, but at the same time, if you've got Chris Bassett, Max Scherzer, and Jacob deGrom firing on all cylinders, like we wound up seeing in this series, that's going to be a tough trio to wind up matching up against. And the Mets and Braves will begin a key five-game set beginning on Thursday because there is a doubleheader this weekend. Kyle Wright, 13-4 on the year, gets the start against Carlos Carrasco. The Mets are a small favorite in Queens here on Thursday night. Any lean on this game right now? I felt like the Atlanta Braves should have been a slight favorite with the way that Kyle Wright has been able to perform. He's posting up right around 270 ERA on the road. His strikeout numbers are very solid. And for Carlos Carrasco, his ERA is a full point lower when he's at home rather than when he is on the road. But certainly has been a guy that has been giving up the deep ball a little bit. And Austin Riley, if I had to vote for MVP right now, it would go to Austin Riley over the last three days, hitting above a 400 with a home run every 10 at-bats. Guy has been very instrumental to the success of the Atlanta Braves. They have been going as he has been. The Atlanta Braves, they wind up being able to bolster that bullpen a little bit more as well. And, I mean, getting rid of Will Smith, honestly, not the world's worst thing for that Atlanta Braves bullpen. And then for the Mets, they wound up being able to pick up some nice pieces at the deadline as well. Nothing that was necessarily overly demonstrative, but I think that by and large, it is a Mets team that is going to be relatively stable moving forward. But I take a look at this Braves lineup and having the pitching matchup in this one, which is going to be a little bit of a rarity going up against this Mets team. I do like the Atlanta Braves getting a plus price. And sticking in the division, Noah Syndergaard makes his Phillies debut against the Nationals. The Phillies are going to be heavily favored. I feel like I'm the only one that loves this move, Greg, because no one's really talking big about the Phillies. I think this is a tremendous move. It, it brings him back into the National League East where he's comfortable pitching. And I think you're going to get the best out of Noah Syndergaard reunited with his former Mets teammate in Zach Wheeler. And that 1-2-3 of Wheeler, Nola, and Syndergaard now, I think makes the Phillies a viable option to make the postseason. I think that they'll be able to make the postseason as well. The one thing with the Phillies, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but 
without Bryce Harper, it's been the bats that have been the issue for the Phillies rather than the pitching because Aaron Nola has always had home and road splits that have been quite large. He has always failed to perform on the road. It's been the exact opposite this year. He's been tremendous on the road. Zach Wheeler, one of the better frontline starters that you're going to find in baseball. They've been able to get some good production out of the bullpen with Corey Knable making that move to the seventh inning. Sir Anthony Dominguez, Brad Hand, they're able to do a good job late. They bring in their closer, David Robertson. He was able to close things out for them on Wednesday. If I have any concern with the Phillies, it's having enough offense to hold down the fort until Bryce Harper comes back because while Kyle Schwarber has 33 home runs this year, he's only in at 210. Nick Cassiano's got his first home run on Wednesday since I think dinosaurs were roaming the <laughs> earth. He finally wound up going yard for this team. So I take a look at the Phillies, and the big concern for them right now is actually the bats rather than the arms until you're able to get back Bryce Harper. Yeah, and when they do get Bryce Harper back, I think this team is poised to go on a little bit of a run. Uh, let's talk about the rest of this board here for uh, Thursday. The Brewers just can't seem to figure out the Pirates. Brandon Woodruff takes the mound, and they are heavily favorites once again, minus 250. Uh, do you expect a bounce back here from the Brew crew? I do. Brandon Woodruff in his last two starts against the Pirates has allowed just two runs, and last time he went to Pittsburgh through six scoreless innings, and for Woodruff, Six starts since coming off the injured list. Three earned runs or fewer allowed in every one of them. He clearly was not right at the beginning of the season. Ever since then, he has been absolutely masterful for this Brewers team. And for Devin Williams, I do think that he's going to be able to bounce back the walk-off home run that he wound up allowing on Wednesday. First time in 31 appearances that he wound up allowing a run. He wow. saw Brad Boxberger, Hobie Milner in that bullpen. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they burnt through their entire pen. They wanted getting four outs of the starter and Tyler Beattie, who you didn't expect him to necessarily go too far, but you expected a little bit more than four outs out of him. That really puts them behind the eight ball in this spot with the Pirates. You do have Brian Reynolds who wound up having that walk-off home run. That's been tremendous, but they've been really struggling. And under the radar, Hunter Renfro, he's been very good since coming off the injured list for the Brewers, getting about a home run every 14 or so at-bats. I'm going to be looking at the run line of the Brewers because last time Woodruff was on the road against Pittsburgh, the Brewers covered the run line by scoring just two runs because the Pirates didn't put up any. So I think that this is a good bounce back spot here for the Brewers. I'm going to be looking at a run line. And when it comes to this total of eight, I'd be looking under as well. The uh, Cubs and Cardinals have a double header. Stroman and Michaelis in game one. And then Quintana will make his Cardinals debut in game two. What are your thoughts here? With Michaelis finding him now right around about a minus 150 or so favorite, I am going to be willing to lay it. I was looking at Michaelis when it was a little bit earlier on because he was supposed to go against Justin Seal yesterday. And yeah. I've got Justin Seal and Marcus Stroman relatively comparable. I would need at least about a plus 150, plus 155 to be able to take a shot on the Cubs. So I will say Marcus Stroman ever since coming off the injured list he has been better. And he's got a sub 2.5 ERA on the road. Seeing this total right around the seven and a half, I think that it's maybe gone a little bit too low because the Cubs, the big thing for them is that they wanted selling away so many bullpen pieces. Scott Efres, you wind up throwing away David Robertson, Chris Martin as well out of a bullpen that over the last 45 days, they were in the top seven in the big leagues. Now you're expecting guys like Yolman and company to be able to step up Ron Wick has not had a nice season. So this is a spot where a seven half I'm going to be looking at an over. And with Michaelis, the way that he has been performing, I'm going to be willing to lay the price here. Might wind up taking a look at a plus price as well on the run line when we wind up seeing more of those populate. And what about what are you expecting from Quintana? 
I think that Katana is going to be relatively solid when this was Strowman against Katana. I was setting the Cardinals more around about a minus 160 to a minus 165-ish favorite. Okay, wow. He's got a fielding independent that actually is better than his ERA. Fielding independent right around 325 does a good job of holding the ball in the yard. And I think that St. Louis is actually a tremendous ballpark for him. And he's got familiarity with the Cubs as well. So I do think that he's going to be able to deliver a seller start here. We will continue to go through the uh, Major League Baseball board here for uh, Thursday. Plenty more games to get to. Don't forget, you can listen to the Baseball Betting Show hosted by Greg Peterson, available vcin.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And you follow him on Twitter at GUnit underscore, what is it, 81, Greg? Is that the number? Underscore 81, Love yes, the sir. underscore 81. He's Greg Peterson. I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on vcin. And long. This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. Baseball predictions made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon to compete free for cash all season. Enter weekly prediction pools to fight for your share of $62,500 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon now to join the action. Blue Moon made brighter. 21 and over only terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. Scott Zadenberg back here with you, rejoined by Greg Peterson, host of the Greg Peterson Experience, the baseball betting show available on vcin.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can head to vcin.com or follow Greg on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. You get his uh, lines that he puts out for every game on the board in Major League Baseball. And look, Greg, there's some lines that we're seeing here for the schedule on Thursday. These numbers will absolutely change by the time we get even remotely close to first pitch here on Thursday. There's some really good overnight opportunities right now. I totally agree with you. And the main thing that I do wind up betting is overnight numbers because you just see it. I mean, especially with the favorites, like look no further than the Mets against the Washington Nationals. We wind up seeing overnight numbers with the Mets right around about a minus 230 or so. Well, I didn't take the money line, and you were able to get a relatively palatable run line. By the time first pitch wound up going, DraftKings, it was at minus $3. Westgate, it was at minus $310, minus $290 at Circa. So these lines wind up getting just pile drive driven up. I mean, I think that it is so important because while on the money line, you're just picking a team whether or not to win or lose, much easier to wind up swallowing, like, say, a minus 130 loss and say a minus 160 loss, because it's always important to note that you are betting numbers and not teams and being able to get 30, 40 cents of value. That is massive in the long run. Absolutely. Let's continue to go through the board here for Thursday. Uh, the Dodgers looking for the four game sweep here of the Giants. Clayton Kershaw on the hill against Jacob Junis. And for the, the Giants, Greg, I, to me, they're just a dead team. After the trade deadline, you know, trading away the, the players that they did. And I just think the players know that they're not a postseason team this year. I do, too. Although I will say, I do think that there's a little bit of value here on the San Francisco Giants getting between plus 180 to a plus 185. It's a big-time rivalry matchup. And Jacob Junis has been solid. He's posting up a sub-3 ERA, giving up right around one home run for nine innings. And Clayton Kershaw, he's been relatively solid this year. No fans are butts about it, but... 
with the Dodgers, I have some trust issues when it comes to that bullpen. Honestly, Craig Kimbrell getting used up on Wednesday, that actually strengthens my position on them just a little bit because Craig Kimbrell has been such a hot mess this year. You cannot rely upon him. But for the San Francisco Giants, it's been befuddling as to how they've been a top seven or top eight team in terms of run score because you really don't have a lot of guys hitting above 250 for this team. Jock Peterson and Wilmer Flores have been the only two guys that have been able to hit home runs for them really all season long. So it's been a little bit of a interesting bunch, but I do think that Jacob June is going to be able to win some relatively good innings here for the San Francisco Giants. Getting plus 180 or greater, I'm going to be on that. The A's take on the Angels. Paul Blackburn gets the start for the A's against, how about this name, Jansen Junk. For the, You think he's a junk ball pitcher? All right, I'll see myself out now. Uh, the Angels right now, minus 125. You get Paul Blackburn at a plus money price here, Greg. Better yet, you have to lay a number to bet on junk. That's not <laughs> something that typically sounds great. I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 120 here. I wound up saying the Angels as a minus 122 favorite. There's just no way I could think that Paul Blackburn splits are going to continue. He's got north of an 8 ERA at home at a buck 75 on the road. Oakland is as pitcher-friendly as it gets. The road games, he's been tremendous in them. And it's just one of those things where I think that he's doing for positive progression when it comes to his performances at home. I think that he's doing for negative regression when it comes to his performances on the road. Not necessarily too much of a strikeout pitcher getting right around seven strikeouts per nine innings for the Angels. He still have Shohei Otani out there. Jared Walsh was an all-star last year. He's been able to generate 13 home runs. And for Oakland... It's a bunch that they just really don't do a great job of being able to get on base. A sub-300 on base for them overall as a team. They're hitting right around 220. I do think that this is going to be a bounce back for the Los Angeles Angels. So I will say this for the Angels. Ever since really the middle of May slash very, very early June, this team has won about 30% of their games. I believe that they're now something like 17 and 54 in their last Mm. 71. It has been remarkably bad for this Angels. Yeah, one. yeah. I might, I might think about an under eight in that game because uh, I don't really respect. I'm with you there. Yeah, I don't really yeah. respect the offenses for both teams. Uh, Rockies will look to avoid a sweep against the Padres. Joe Musgrove, Kyle Freeland. It's a huge number to lay with San Diego, but um, how confident can you be on the Rockies? It's a little bit tough, but for Kyle Freeland, he's been able to do a better job on the road than at home. He's posting up right around a 350 ERA on the road. He's pitched relatively well this season against San Diego as well. And for Joe Musgrove, he's seen a little bit of regression ever since he wound up having those 12 starts to begin the year in which he went six innings or more, giving up two earned runs or fewer in every one of them. And, I mean, for the Colorado Rockies, it's not like they should be the betting favorite here or anything like that, but... I mean, you're giving me plus 250 on a guy in Kyle Freeland who's been relatively solid on the road. You still have so many C.J. Crone who's been able to give you 20-plus home runs this season. The San Diego Padres have turned into a little bit of a death star when it comes to their lineup. But you do have a Rockies team that, because they were just getting completely wiped out of the game on Wednesday, most of their trustworthy bullpen pieces like Alex Colme and company, they're going to be on call for this one still. At plus 250, it's one of those things where, once again, you're betting numbers. You're not betting teams. This is not one of these games in which you're going to be hitting 75% of your bets on or anything like that. But long term, it is one of those unit and sort of principal numbers that I'm going to be taking with the Colorado Rockies. Justin Verlander uh, can smell the Cy Young. Uh, he gets the start against Zach Plezak. The Astros minus 190 against the Guardians. 
Now, this is a favorite on the road that's a little bit more chalky that I see value on because Justin Verlander has been absolutely masterful. He's got a sub-2 ERA on the road, still giving you nine strikeouts per nine innings. Accuracy has been pinpoint, giving up fewer than two walks per nine innings. And Zach Plesak, a little bit more of a pitcher contact guy, getting a little bit over six punch outs per nine innings at for Houston. The only trepidation that you had with taking the run line of this team because this was a team that at the beginning of the year, they weren't covering a lot of run lines, was the offense towards the bottom of the fold, and especially that catcher spot, it was not giving you anything whatsoever with guys like Martin Maldonado and company. They addressed that. They bring in Christian Vasquez, who's hitting right around at 280. Trey Bobo Mancini, first game with the Houston Astros. He winds going yard, Jordan Alvarez. He's been able to give you 30 bombs. And for the Cleveland Guardians, they are getting, and I'm not even kidding here, going into Wednesday, 26 home runs at home thus far this season. They have not been able to go deep now. Jose Ramirez, Steven Kwan, Andres Jimenez, Oscar Gonzalez, all these guys. Hanging 275 or greater is nice, but at home, they just have not been able to generate the deep ball. Now you have to go up against Justin Verlander. Mm. I'm going to be looking at a run line right now with the Astros. Find them on the run line right around about a minus 110 to a minus 115. I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 130 on that run line, so I'll be taking a look at the Astros. I like that a lot. Uh, also, what I like a lot is Alec Manoa and the Blue Jays going up against the Minnesota Twins and Sonny Gray. Blue Jays minus 125. It's a short number for a guy as good as Manoa. Not quite as good as junk, but Manoa, what? I'm going to be there with you. I was willing to lay up to a minus 144 with the Toronto Blue Jays because Manoa on the road has been pretty much as good as he has been at home. A sub-2-5 ERA. He only gets eight strikeouts per nine innings. That's down from his rookie season, but command has been there. Sub-2 walks per nine innings. And Sonny Gray, he's had his issues. Four-plus runs allowed in two out of his last five starts. And he's actually been giving up more at home rather than on the road. His home ERA is touching right around four. Meanwhile, it's sub three on the road. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, under the radar, the bullpen has not been too bad. Adam Simber, Yimi Garcia, David Phelps, these guys are posting up a sub three ERA. I think that it's a little bit under the radar that you've been able to see the good production that Jordan Romano's been able to put up at the closer spot as well for the Minnesota Twins. A little bit of intermiss lineup because while Byron Buxton has had some tank shots this year, he's only hitting about a 220 for the team. You've got other guys like Carlos Correo, Giro Rochelle that, that are able to move the line, but really outside of Buxton, not a lot of power in this lineup. I do think that Manoa going to be able to do a solid job here. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 144 with them, so I agree. I'm looking at the Blue Jays. And uh, you'll have Anthony Bass available, who they acquired from the uh, Marlins, I assume. So the back end of their bullpen looks a little stronger here going into this game. Uh, one final game, Red Sox, Nick Pavetta against Chris Bubich and uh, the Boston Red Sox minus 135. Yeah, I'm even seeing some minus 130s out there as well. And I'm going to be doing this right up for DK Nation. Chris with the K Bubich has already failed to make it out of the first inning twice at home this season. A 632 home ERA. He's been at Albatross and with Rafael Devers, he's back in the fold for Boston, over 20 home runs, hitting above a 300. It's a Red Sox team that has been a little bit rough with their bullpen, but out there in the American League, the worst bullpen that you've got in that league, that is with the Kansas City Royals. And, well, they didn't wind up getting any better with their bullpen at the trade deadline, that's for sure. And with the Kansas City Royals, two runs or fewer scored in seven out of their last nine games. Give me the Boston Red Sox. I'll be writing this one up for DK Nation. I like it. I'm going to ride with you on that one. Greg, appreciate the time and the conversation as always. We'll be listening to the baseball betting show as well. Always appreciate it, Scott. Thank you. There he is. Our very own Greg Peterson. Hit him up on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. The baseball betting show available on vcin.com slash podcast and catch the Greg Peterson experience weekends. 
here on the network. I'm Scott Seidenberg. We're going to get into our college football betting guide coming up next here on The Look Ahead. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Slash door. This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. The college football guide is out now. Start your football season on the right foot with expert profiles of all 131 teams, including team trends, power ratings, and over on the recommendations, plus our season win totals, Heisman hopefuls, and playoff predictions. The only way to get access to this year's football betting guide is to become a VSIN all access subscriber. Sign up for VSIN All Access today and get everything we offer for the entire football season, including our upcoming pro football betting guide. Subscribe now at vsin.com slash subscribe. Scott Sattenberg back here with you. This is The Look Ahead and one of the authors or contributors to our college football betting guide is Adam Kramer. And he joins us now here on The Look Ahead. Adam, it's great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us here. And you wrote about some top storylines that you're paying attention to this coming college football season. Let's get into some of those. Yeah, no, great to talk to you as well. So, you know, there was so much conversation about the quarterbacks last year. And, you know, you had Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance, right, in the draft. And and then it felt like we kind of went into a season where we didn't know much about it. And Bryce Young, of course, won the Heisman. And um, we saw some up and down play. You had, what, one quarterback taking the first round. I, I, it feels like the opposite this year. So to me, it really does start with the quarterbacks. Um, I think we've become all a little quarterback obsessed. So I hate, I hesitate saying this because I don't want to feed into our addictions. Um, and yet when you look at the top of the Heisman odds with Stroud, with Young, but to me, it's really more intriguing to kind of after that, right? You know, Tyler Van Dyke at Miami is really intri- intriguing. Quinn Ewers at Texas. Uh, you look around the uh, ACC for a guy like Devin Leary at NC State. Um, there's some really good quarterbacks, and it's not specific to just uh, two guys. I think the position is really loaded this year, of course, and it, I think in some ways kind of explains why it's top-heavy in some areas. And yet you, you've got feelers out, of course, Caleb Williams, which I, I you know we have to talk about with USC, which is another intriguing storyline altogether. I, I think the quarterback play this year has a chance to be unbelievably good. And how about just, you know, you mentioned Caleb Williams. I mean, we're talking about yeah. uh, a bunch of quarterbacks that were in the transfer portal that uh, are now in new places. You look at him at USC, Dylan Gabriel's now 
now at Oklahoma with big responsibilities there. And there's so many other quarterbacks around the country that have changed programs. But I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how they do at their new schools. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the transfer portal, we got to get used to that, right? I mean, that's that's another theme to watch in general is just if you're a fan of the sport, even if, like a, a dedicated fan, there there was movement this year because there's so much of it that you're tracking. You're like, oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> this person changed teams. So Quinn Ewers was on Ohio State last year, right, and and changed the just the outlook um, for, for Texas. So absolutely – uh, transfer portal certainly going to be a big thing, and and look, Oklahoma is a great one. And Gabriel, like we kind of forgot about him, got hurt, but really a talented guy. Oklahoma team, we're not necessarily talking a ton about, given the momentum Texas has from the portal recruiting, you name it. But huge additions across the country. Spencer Rattler was one of the favorites to win the Heisman last year, right? Now it's South Carolina, which has always felt like a, a really odd fit. Keaton Slovis at Pitt. Jackson Dart now, uh, partnering over Link. If you go up and down the board, you have a huge list of guys that are really capable, that are very, very much you know, in line for a breakout. Which ones break out, of course, that's going to probably dictate which teams we're talking about months from now. What's your opinion on the whole thing? I mean, it's, it's college football free agency. It's essentially what it is. And, you know, now, you know, with, with changing the waiver, you don't even have to sit out a year. It's, I, I feel like if a kid gets beat out for a starting job, he's just going to go to a different school and then play for them. Without question. It's, I think, you know, it, putting, giving the players some power is something I've been uh, obviously I think everybody's saying, Hey, money, power, you know, the ability to control their own fate. When you look at coaches, the ability to change jobs as freely as they are. Um, and yet it, it does feel like we're losing a little bit of the soul of the sport. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of torn on this. Truly. I hate to give you a non-answer answer of, you know, the good and bad, but I like the fact that players have some of this control, but it does make it difficult to follow. And then look for a team like Pitt, right that you had a Bolitnikoff winner at wide receiver, and you've, you've seen Pat Narduzzi just being on a rant for months now about transfer portal and tampering and NIL. I can't blame him for that. I can't be blame Pitt parents for being unhappy that they, they watched this great wide receiver come through and have this great year with this great quarterback and this great offensive coordinator, and then poof, it's all gone. So I do think, yes, if you're a team like Alabama, who has really done a great job in taking advantage of the transfer portal on both sides of the ball, of course, just beefing up in all areas, you're thrilled with it. And yet, if you're a team that's somewhere in the middle of the pack or down below, you're going to be a, we're going to be trampolining. You're going to be a means to go to another place from this point forward. I think, again, the big message is I don't think that's going to change. We're going to have to kind of acclimate ourselves to this new style. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's the usual suspects. You mentioned Alabama. I think Alabama and Ohio State are the two teams that you can pencil in right now for the college football playoff. Georgia's going to have an excellent chance as well. Uh, If there was a team that you are eyeing to be that number four team or to even be the number three team, who is it in your mind? I'm really struggling with Clemson. Right, because Clemson fits. We talk about top heavy. You got Alabama and Ohio State. You got Georgia that's kind of reloading, of course, you know, playing in the same conference. We've seen already that doesn't really matter. You can get two teams in the playoff. Clemson to me is fascinating. So look at quarterback, you know, the one guy we did not talk about is DJ uh Ugalele, right? The quarterback last year who was supposed to come in. We saw him as a true freshman, looked wonderful in against Notre Dame, and then poof, uh last year accuracy was an issue right but the clemson defense is going to be really good 
they were banged up. They had a ton of injuries. A lot went wrong for Clemson, and yet they started off the season so poorly. They kind of rallied at the end. I really like the running back, Will Shipley. The conference, of course, is ripe for the taking. Yeah, there's some good teams in that conference. Miami will be better. NC State's going to be good. Wake Forest was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know what we're getting from Florida State, but the point is Clemson has a talent advantage in that conference right now. The problem is I don't know what to do with the quarterback. They have a true freshman in Kate Klubnick coming in that could get the job and look pretty good in the spring. Clemson's a team, if they figure it out at quarterback, all the other ingredients are in place. But again, after that, you, you mentioned it in terms of the playoff, Alabama, Ohio State feel really good. How do we feel about Oklahoma, right? How are we feeling about Notre Dame? I don't feel great about Notre Dame. Is a team like Utah or USC, are we buying into USC, finally you know, making that turn? I think the vacancy of those bottom two positions is a fascinating storyline. There's teams like Wisconsin and Texas in that 50 to 60 to 70 to 80 to 1 range that could really stake a claim for it. I'm glad you brought up Klubnik because he's my long shot Heisman play. <laughs> it's a good play. Yeah, because look, man, DJ, last year you look at his numbers. You know, what, not less than less than maybe 10 touchdowns passing overall. I don't have it in front of me. They were abysmal. And it didn't get better. And is he gonna figure out again how to throw the football in an offseason? I, I don't think so. They got a lot around him though. I, I'm I like that play and the odds kind of show it. Those two are not far apart in terms of Heisman odds. Yep. And uh one of my other long shot plays is uh Jameer Gibbs running back from Alabama. And I just yeah. look at, you know, the type of season that uh obviously Bryce had last year and could have this year. And and I expect Alabama, who always produces these running backs, I think Gibbs transferring over from Georgia Tech could could be a, a Heisman candidate this year for them. I, I completely agree. If you saw him in the spring game, he broke a long touchdown. He's got tremendous speed, was a really nice player at Georgia Tech, and I, I think he fits this offense perfectly because he can catch the ball really well. That's something he did a lot of at Georgia Tech, and they're going to ask for him to catch the ball because Alabama has better weapons at wide receiver. When I say better, better than it was at the start of the offseason when they lost two really good wideouts. Of course, they go to Georgia, they go to the portal to get some guys to go to Louisville. I think they're going to ask Gibbs to do a lock. That position for Alabama right now is not as loaded as, as it normally is. It's still, you know, these are this is a rich team problem, right? It's still got <laughs> former four-star, five-star guys, but it's not as loaded as it normally is, which means probably a bit more of a workload for a guy like that. He's going to be really fun. If you do not People weren't paying attention to what he was doing in the ACC. I think they're going to learn really quick how good he is. Uh, what are some games that you have circled on your calendar? Alabama A&M is going to be fun, right? Like Alabama A&M is just, you know, that's becoming the rivalry. Uh, it's cooled down a little bit. I'm a little, I, I'm not happy that Jimbo and Nick seem to be on better terms after fighting earlier <laughs> this year. I, I wanted there to be a lot of bad blood, but look, A&M won that game. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Alabama, Texas to start the year is a lot of fun, right? The fact that it's being played on a college campus is a big deal. The fact that it's early on, Texas trying to revamp its roster, I think it's a little too early for them to compete with Alabama athletically, but certainly offensively, Texas has some some players that's going to challenge them. Ohio State, Notre Dame, it's another really fun game on a college campus. I think Notre Dame is outgunned. A lot of the games early in the season, which I'm really excited about, in fact, a lot of the games that I'm excited about in general have like double-digit point spreads, which is strange. But the one that doesn't, that I, I just think is a fascinating clash, Arkansas and Cincinnati. Very early on, week one, Arkansas was so good last year, coached incredibly well, good quarterback in Jefferson. Cincinnati has to 
reboot and figure out what they've got after losing, you know, a couple of really good corners and a quarterback. I just think it's a really good measuring stick for both of those programs. So there's a ton. You know, when I do this in the guide, where I try to do my favorite 10 games, I feel bad afterwards because I start off with a list of like <laughs> 35 games and condensing it to 10 is no easy task. Well, we appreciate all the incredible work you did in the College Football Betting Guide, and we look forward to chatting with you throughout the season. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.